welcome to NFTeach. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy. Really excited to get into this episode where I'm joined by Paul. He is at Rect Media CEO on Twitter. Known him for quite some time, been meaning to have him on the podcast for some time, and we sort of cover it all. I mean, we range from Yuga Labs to veganism uh, to intellectual property to the metaverse large scale to PFPs uh, to all of it. So I think you're really going to enjoy this one. I had a ton of fun making it. Uh, we ran well past the 25 minutes I usually like to keep episodes at. But without further ado, we'll have a, a spot from our sponsors, VinoVest, and then we'll jump into it with Paul. Fine wine has long been a cornerstone of wealth generation and preservation. The problem? Historically, it's been reserved for the ultra-wealthy. VinoVest is changing that. If you know me, you know I'm always looking for the next big player in the industry. I was amazed at how easy it was to get started in diversifying your investment portfolio. Wine has one-third the volatility of the stock market and has outperformed the global equities market over the past 30 years with 10.6% annualized returns, proving that the returns can be as robust as your favorite red. VinoVest makes it easy to acquire new investments equipped with a team of world-class sommeliers who evaluate wine and determine which ones will gain value over time. You own the wines in your portfolio outright. You can buy, sell, and even drink them whenever you want. Go to zen.ai slash nfteach to receive two months of fee-free investing on VinoVest. Be sure to mention that NFTeach is helping you save on two months of management fees. It's time to start investing with VinoVest today. Joining me on the Aspen guest line is none other than Paul. Paul, how are you today? Doing really, really well. How are you? Thanks for having me. No, man, this is a long time coming. I mean, years coming before we've actually been able to sit down and have this uh, fireside chat, if you will, about all things NFT. Yeah, I think uh, you, uh, we had talked about making this happen, I think, uh... Like right when you, I can't remember when you first started the pod or what was going on, but you were still out of country um, at the time when we had first started talking about making this happen. So I'm, I'm glad that we're finally here together. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very, very much in country. Um, so much that I'm dying to get out of country again. Here. Um, so yeah, no, we've known each other for, you know, and known, I put like the NFT air quotes on uh, known for for a couple of years now. Yep. Uh, and, and you've been, I think, one of the more thoughtful people in the space in really trying to have uh, op opinions on where things are going or what's happening that, that maybe are sometimes go against the grain, but always are thought provoking at a minimum. And that's one of the things I've always appreciated about you in particular. Uh, so, I mean, here we sit. You know, uh, we're in crypto winter a bit right now, and I think this is a dead cat bounce. I think we're gonna we're gonna floor again. I don't think this is like ETH on the come up, but like, I guess where you sit, what are some of the big takeaways that you've had in this this market turn uh, in terms of NFTs? Yeah, well, thank you for your compliment. I you know I come from so I'll give just a brief little background and then I'll jump right into that setup. But I so I've spent most of my life working in the media world, uh, uh, documentary filmmaking, you know, all of that good stuff, and then nonprofit media has been what I've been involved in for 
uh, 15 years of my total professional career. And so I take it seriously. I understand and have always jumped into media and tried to put my hands on things that I didn't understand to see if they work for me and my company. And then if they do. So that's how I got into NFTs is like, is this a new media delivery? Is this, you know, it's Web3, everything that they say it is. And is it something that I can actually bring back to the company that I run and actually utilize in a way that's beneficial for us? So I started experimenting and got involved and, and really fell in love with it. And a, and a lot of the folks there, I think it's an incredible, incredible uh, technology that we're still all try, trying to figure out. And that's why I am so passionate and opinionated is, don't get me wrong, there's tons of stuff that I still don't know and still try to learn about. I was not a crypto native, wasn't involved in crypto or bought Bitcoin in 2011. I don't have any of those stories. I don't know what the first crypto winner was like in the fall of 2018 when everything crashed. So I don't know what that's like. But I can I can tell a scheme whenever I see one, especially when it comes to media. I also know what people can actually deliver. And so um, that's why I am always calling a spade a spade or calling it how I see it. I think I was the first to really point out that the stuff that the, the account Art Chick was doing was obviously not up to up to par and was definitely a little shady. And so I've always been able to kind of see and, and notice and call out whenever I see something that doesn't seem possible or right. Um, and so that's why I think I have some fans and then I have some people who don't like me because uh, they maybe are set to lose based on the opinions that I have about things. And so, uh, but I love it. I, I don't, I don't mind that. I'm not here to make everybody feel comfortable. Like they're going to be billionaires because we're not, a lot of people are going to fail and some people have lost it all and have had horror stories about what's happened. And so that's kind of my attitude and where I come from. As far as what's going on now, it's real interesting. You know, I think and am, am um, when I look at the space and kind of what we've gone through over the last few months, it's great. I think it's a shakeout. I think we get the losers out of the way. I think that people who have invested and overinvested in two projects that they never should have invested in in the first place are starting to learn some lessons and see that you can't it's not up only. Um, for, for many, many months it was, and man, those were great months, but now we're starting to see where the market and the marketplace are stabilizing and it's harder for scam artists to really, uh, make that, make it, you know, continue to sort of chase, put that carrot out there, right? There's this tendency to put out a carrot and then everyone rushes to it. And then you put out another one and everyone rushes to it. But whenever people either don't have you know, money to invest or have had some rough times, it's harder to do that. And so I would say that this crypto winter we're in now, air quotes around it, because who knows how long we'll be in it. I think um, it's good for the space. I think it's good to shake out the people who can't build. If you if you're not willing to build through this, then you are never going to make it anyway. And so I think the big winner in all of it, I think, is Yuga Labs. I mean, I you know, here we are. Um, a year, April, May, June, a year and a few months since the launch of the Board Ape Yacht Club. And for my money, there are the only ones who have, not the only ones, that's not what I meant to say. They are the in the strongest position from a branding standpoint, uh, from a quality of community standpoint, even though there's a lot of them that are shit heels. Um, and I think from a 
um, infrastructure standpoint of what they've built, the partnerships they, they've created, and their ability to, to, launch, to continue to go off of that momentum, I think is huge. And so I think if I were to say, if you were to say, pick one winner who will be here in 20 years, that's probably the only one I would feel 100% confident in telling you that they will be around 20 years from now. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think every, everyone else, I think is trying to come with grip to come to grips and understand, you know, what comes next and, and what they need to be working and where they fit in this hierarchy yeah. also. Right. Yes. Yeah. They, you know, for a while, I feel like everyone was like, we're going to be the next board ape, or at least that was the, the thought. And now they're like, there's no fucking way we're going to be the next board ape. So wh what does that do in terms of that shakeout for everyone else? Because you know, I like a lot of communities that are maybe not what I would say, like communities that moon, but like I, I have a high degree of confidence in their ability to last as well. So what, what happens with everyone else? You have Yuga and you have a couple of what I would describe as blue chips, but I don't even know who I would put in that bracket, to be honest with you. But wh where does everyone else go? Yeah, you know, I think um, my big bet was on Pixel Vault, which I still think has potential. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll talk about the NFTs I own so that people can know my bias. I think that's another thing we need to do better at in this space is straight up, you know, post every time you make a post, been, uh, you know, promoting something, even if it's not a paid promote uh, promotion, you should talk about if you own it or not. And so I'm invested in uh, I have other side land. I have a bunch of meta heroes and pixel pixel vault assets. I've got some gutter cat gang stuff. Um, and those are probably the most blue chipish that I have. Everything else is pretty much garbage. Um, and you know, I, I had a lot of high hopes in pixel vault. I thought that they were also building on a trajectory that was for the future. Um, and that looked really, really positive and they seemed like they had the people in the infrastructure to do it. And then of course the beanie FUD happened and, uh, Beanie, who was one of their main investors, uh, Beanie Maxi on Twitter, he basically came out and people discovered a bunch of uh, Web2 scams that he was involved in, um, which is fascinating because I think that after uh, there was NFT Ethics was an account that was created and they were the first person they he was the first person they went after. So they so everyone believed every word of it and just completely considered it. And it really kind of hurt Pixel Vault. Uh, in an incredible way. Well, since then, two things have happened. One, there's been other people who have done far worse things, including Zagabond and, and Azuki and what he was discovered to have done. Um, and then also NFT ethics has kind of been shown to be a little bit of a, a clout chaser. And so, you know, if Beanie would have been the fourth person they went after, I don't know that Pixel Vault would have taken the hit that they have taken, which is fine. I think that the more we can talk about people who have shady past and bad backgrounds who are coming with ill intention, we should point that out. But they've also just made some mistakes, I think, that have happened um, in their communications. I think communications is undervalued. Um, I think Top oh, Shot. Oh, I think baby. I, go ahead. I, I was <laughs> waiting for the segue there, Paul. Go right ahead and, and give us the Top Shot communications thesis from Paul. Yeah, so so it's it's one of those things where you you do what you say and you say what you mean. It's you know, I think about my career and I think that as a leader and as the leader of a company, whenever we make a decision to put out into the public that we're going to do something, we say exactly what we're going to do and how we're going to get there. And I think early on, there's just there was this um, there was this sort of, you know, this 
excitement about the space and about the money being made. And so people just said whatever the hell they wanted. And that includes Topshot, which is a big, you know, uh, big company, but they were just throwing stuff out there. Like by now we should be playing an NBA jam style, NBA Topshot game, according to their roadmap, you know, and it's not here. Um, they should have been out of beta like six months ago and it's not here. And then when people ask for reasons or ask for communications on why those things don't happen, it's amazing that companies then say, oh, well, you don't deserve, why do we have to give you that information? It's not privileged, you know, it, it, it's privileged information. And so for me, it's like, where, why is it, uh, don't put out the information that you're not willing to then either do, or you're not willing to explain in detail why you didn't accomplish it and why it didn't get done. And so I think Topshot has been the number one bad actor in awful communication. And they have done a, they have come around, I would say this year, they've done a lot better than last year. Um, and in the last few months, they've done even better. Uh, but communication is a huge problem in the space. And, you know, a lot of people saw what Yuga did and said, okay, well, they only announce exactly when they're going to do something. Well, you can't copy that model unless you have the brand recognition that Yuga has. And so a lot of companies say, okay, we're only going to give information right before we're going to release whatever it is we're going to drop information about. Well, that's a failed strategy as well, especially if people don't know who you are, aren't invested in what you're doing and aren't uh, you know, constantly talking about what you're doing. What, where Yuga fits in and why they're, they're able to do that is because... Um, they're so well known. They have such great brand recognition and there's so much hype around them and their community does such a great job of communicating for them that they can say, fuck it, Mutant Saturday, and that's all you need. So you can't follow the Yuga model either, right? And in, in media, especially in this space where there's so many new CEOs and new founders, they don't understand that you can't just do what you can't just look at the winner and say, we're going to do what the winner does because they're winning. You have to understand the ecosystem and the environment around why well, the thing. There's another huge part missing to that, which is like I, I tweeted the other day that I think I think you guys Web3 Disney, like they don't miss. They execute at such an extremely high level. And I, I think look no further than the other side that they ran this weekend, that Voyage or whatever. You're talking about 4,300 people at one time in a playable and from a graphic perspective, not a light lift, I'm sure, to run that engine, whatever they're running that game on, it's got to be significant pull. Um, and, 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 and like there's a sort of Disney expectation with Yuga that I have. Like when they, when you go to a Disney resort, there's a certain level of, of what you expect or Disney park to happen. And I feel like that's what they do. They just execute, execute the comms, execute the strategy, execute the branding. It's such a high level. And, and, you know, you could say that the other deed was maybe their only sort of near miss in terms of how they manage that drop. And, uh, and, but I mean, honestly, they just execute like crazy. And, and, and that's my question for you, Paul is like, what, what percentage of these NFT projects are businesses? Oh, that's a that's an interesting question. I guess you start with what's the definition of, of a business, you know, and and kind of what that what that looks like. And I would say, I mean, I would say if you got to a legalistic standpoint, I would say all of them. I mean, anyone who's releasing, like there, you know, everyone wants to use language to pretend these aren't either investments in a company or whatever, and. Even if you're not, even if by buying an asset, 
you're not um, buying stake in the company, you are still buying a product that someone has sold, right? And if you've paid money for that, I think free mints are probably something different. I think if you release a product for free, um, that maybe that's something that could be qualified different until the minute you go back and build something on that or, or, or build a structure or a framework around it that allows for future drops or whatever. Like you could be just a social media account that released some NFTs and then you never really do anything but communicate, you know, kind of like uh, um, MFers. They were sort of that model. And then that guy took a million dollars and disappeared or whatever. But um, I would say they're all businesses. Why wouldn't they be? They're selling products or giving away products. And then they are using that revenue to continue to build brand, to build more product, to, you know, have more customers, to then find investments from larger um, players. And so in what way would one not be considered a business? So, so then the next question is what percentage of these of these NFT businesses are run effectively or well? Three percent. I mean, you you think about how many how many projects are out there. Um, I would say it's three or less percent. I mean, it's just you could probably count. And of course, I don't want to like necessarily name drop what I would consider like the best because but I, I, I don't think it's more than a handful and then, of course, there's there's I so one that I there's also traditional businesses that are now getting into NFTs and not even all of those are are really true efforts to be a part of NFTs. I think and once again, I own some of these, so I know the most about them. There may be others out there, but uh, if you've ever had Liquid Death Mountain Water, they have an NFT and then that, that NFT just basically it, it puts you into a different tier of their class of customer, right? So when you're looking at your customer profile, you have your casual customer who may buy it every once and again because they've had it once or they may recognize a marketing piece you've put out. So they're a casual customer, right? And then you move to loyal customer and loyal customers are gonna be people who actively seek out your product, right? So you have casual, you have loyal, and then what's next, right? And so uh, next is loyal engaged. And that would be where a traditional company can use a customer tier to reach a new level with certain customers that then deepens loyalty, right? So you turn loyal customers into loyal engaged, and then you turn casual into loyal because there's this tier you can get to. And so um, with, with Liquid Death, you buy the NFTs and it gives you discounts on their products and you know access to events and all those basic things that you get. But they have a real world product and environment that you can interact with and interact in. Um, and so they've never had like a Discord, right? So with the NFT, now they have a Discord. So they can create a more deeper and loyal engagement with the customers they already have in the real world. I think that model... Um, it's not, it's not one that's going to make anyone rich. Like it's not, it's not a gold rush, uh, race to the top pyramid scheme, but it's the type that I think 20 years from now, we'll see more of that as a, a model of success for NFTs, where a traditional company with traditional products gives an extra membership tier to the NFT space where there's more loyalty. Like, cause there's no, there's no fact that, I mean, there's, if I, in 20 years, will your, will your life be more or less digital? Yeah, it's going to be more, increasingly more digital. And so I think Web2 companies or traditional companies, brick and mortar companies are set up to succeed by just 
creating a separate membership tier or, a, 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 you know, a customer tier that they can then play with in the Web3 space, give, uh, you know, metaverse uh, gear, you know, clothes, shoes, hats, whatever. Like, I think that space is going to all the prices we're seeing now will never be sustained, um, except maybe some of those 10,000 collections in some of these brands. But you're never at some point you won't be able to sell um, an NFT for even $500 to some, uh, you know, there, it's just oversat. It's already oversaturated, but it'll get to a point where, um, there's, it just doesn't make sense, right? These should be things that anybody can afford. We talk a lot. And last year was one of the most hilarious times in my life to see all of the bullshit promises. And I remember when people would say, when Coinbase gets here, we'll all be millionaires because they're going to bring in X amount of normies. And I, I would, I never believed that for a second. I would always question people. What data makes you think that? Oh, well, there's 10 million wallets on Coinbase. Well, in why wouldn't they already be here, right? If they're already engaged in the crypto space, what would NFT, what would Coinbase even having, well, what would, why would that be the thing that tipped them over? Because they don't have to have a MetaMask? Well, they're already engaged in crypto. If they're one tutorial away from doing NFTs, why would Coinbase just adding a marketplace do anything for them if they're not already engaged? Now, don't get me wrong. There's probably a small percentage of people who are like, okay, I'm going to get involved now that Coinbase has a marketplace. But it was never the thing that people said it was going to be. Same with like, well, but, oh, go ahead. Let's stay with Coinbase for a second. I mean, there's like a correlation causation conversation to start having here too. You know, like, like on Tuesdays, Americans eat the most chicken wings. They're not necessarily like a causal relationship. It's just, it may just be a coincidence that happens. So, like assuming that people are going to jump over and I, I think it's a, it's an easy, I can understand why most people made that sort of jump. It makes sense from a very high level. If you're talking through that, it's like, yeah, there's all these normies are going to come and our bags are going to moon and it's going to be the greatest thing ever. But I mean, I think I'm wondering, are you like shocked at the lack of volume on Coinbase? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's not, it's one thing to say, like it didn't, you know, pump everyone's bags 20x but are, are you are you are you like as puzzled as i am by how low the volume was on coinbase yeah and i think it's timing i think because i'm with you i i i always believed it would never pump our bags but i never thought it would be the albatross that it is and i think that is directly related to when they when they dropped i think i, I can't remember the exact date that beta testers were allowed in but um I, I was one of the first or I was allowed on that first day to get in, which I have a great story with that that we're not going to talk about. But I got in to the, the very first group and um, it was just like, you know, it didn't, you know, here's the other thing, too. Here's why the timing was bad. One, it was another one of those long delayed releases, right, to where if they had released it in the time frame that everyone thought that fourth quarter of 2021, I think that they probably would have had a shit ton of success and maybe, maybe took out a big dent of OpenSea. Maybe. They wouldn't have, I don't think they would have brought millions of people over, but I think maybe all of us who were already in the space would have considered moving over. Well, we already had looks rare by the time Coinbase came out. So we all played with another very intuitive, well-made uh, marketplace. And yet OpenSea, the habitual um, nature of humans, OpenSea just continued to dominate. And so by the time Coinbase re uh, released, one, NF the market was already fading. Two, we had already played with looks rare. 
there were already a couple more platforms getting ready to yeah, X2, Y2 is out at that exactly. point. Exactly. And so it's like by that point, they are no longer they're no longer second to market. They're, I mean, and, and they wouldn't have been second, right? We've had Rarible and Super Rare and all these before, but it's like they were no- well, No one really counts that it considers them. Exactly. You know? there, but there was, I guess, as a mass marketplace that feels like Amazon, there was no one, you know, they got beat. And so I think all of those factors led to it being the the really, in the really bad place that it is. I do see- so I will give them props for that Bill Murray drop. I wasn't a part of it. And it was, they only dropped 81 NFTs out of a thousand. But where I give them credit for is that may be what they get known for. There's the celebrity drops. Maybe they make really great relationships with actual people, right? In Twitter, we have had a couple of scams, the Kobe Bryant scam, um, where there were some people saying they were dropping a Kobe NFT. The, oh yeah, the teen, yeah. the teenage KB twenty four. Yes, that's right, KB twenty four. Then the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one, which was clearly a scam. To where if Coinbase sort of vouches like this is a Bill Murray drop, we all agree that it's a Bill Murray drop, and so maybe that's their niche is celebrity and traditional business NFT marketplace. Also. You know, you bring up the, the celebrity drops. Uh, I don't want to talk cash grabs with you, but what I do want to talk about is where's the Web 2.5 um, fit in this world? So, you know, you talked about the liquid death use case where, you know, I doubt these are people that are using MetaMask to get these liquid death NFTs. And, and what do you see is like, wh where is the use of crypto in terms of long-term adoption within NFTs in your opinion? Man, that's a great question. That is a really great question. I think um, I've never really set and parsed that. I think, you know, what's interesting about that is you're right. Like why w this stuff could easily live as some type of web two thing. Um, and so what makes crypto the, the what what makes crypto the unique piece of this product or membership tier or customer offer? And I think probably I think one level of speculation, right? We all want to speculate that Ethereum is going to be worth $10,000 one day. And so I think there's a speculative aspect to it, which all humans uh, look to. There's a reason why billions of people around the globe play lotteries in their respective states and countries. Uh, there's a reason why people uh, invest in the stock market. There's a reason why people don't want to tax billionaires because they believe they'll be one one day and that kind of thing. And so I think speculation is definitely a piece of, of how crypto really makes a difference. Two, I think people do, there is right now a, a distrust of institutions in a major way, a distrust of government, a distrust. So the fantasy, I say fantasy because I can talk about ways that it's not true, but the sort of fantasy of, of DeFi, of, 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 uh, this Take the power back. Yeah. We're going to decentralize the world. And all yeah, this. I think that decentralized uh, myth is something that is very attractive to people, is something that might seem a little, you know, it's cool to be part of a club that you feel like we get it. You like, there's a lot of people that don't get it, but man, we get it. The counterculture, it's kind of cool. Yep. And so I think I think that's probably where crypto really dovetails into the the 2.5 aspect of it to where like um, these traditional companies are dabbling into ETH and other cryptocurrencies because they see the potential of that as being something 
that reaches a new market. Cause I think that some of these brands probably don't reach crypto bros that are then going to get involved in it and then hope that that creates sort of a mass event where people start to spread and get more involved into NFTs and, um, and into crypto. But no, I think that's an interesting aspect to it is like where, where, you know, and I think the future of crypto has a lot to do with that, you know, web three, I'm not a developer, I'm not a coder, I'm not an engineer. So I don't have like a detailed knowledge of why I think web three is better. But I've read a lot of articles where it's not. I mean, it really isn't like, what the hell are we doing this there? there I mean, there, there are just as many good use cases for the future of crypto as there are for saying, like, we could build this with the stuff we have now. Um, and I think a lot of people don't step out of crypto Twitter enough or NFT Twitter enough to really engage with that material. Um, I'm trying to think of a piece off the top of my head, right? Because we have a tendency in the NFT space to find all of the ridiculous articles from the traditional media that are bad, aren't written well, and are actually lies. They, I don't think we've really focused in on the ones that it's like, well, they actually made a really good case for why everything we're doing is kind of pointless. And so- Well, well no, look, I, I, I think you're 100% right. I mean, I, I think that there's, uh, to quote the great Samson Williams, like, you know, in 2017 and 18, he was saying, blockchain hot sauce you can't put that shit on everything and now like, i'm feel like in, in 2022 it's like well nfts aren't hot sauce you, just, you can't just put that shit on everything it, and, and there was a there's a phase if you remember in like 2017 2018 where every business was trying to find a way to pull blockchain into their their business plan and i kind of feel like we've we've repackaged that and now it's like how do i get nfts into my business and so you hear some sort of like really strange um, like ways to tie in this technology into what people are doing. But it, at the bottom line, you know, when you come back to this liquid death thing that you were talking about, it gives the Web2 company the ability to identify who their biggest fans are. Yeah. And that is valuable because yeah. you can market to them direct to consumer in a different way, right? Yeah. You know, no one, you know who to sell the liquid death refrigerator to when you know your liquid death mega fans are. That's exactly right. And so I think, you know, if you told me in 20 years that this was the scenario, that NFTs were the Yuga metaverse, it just, it took over, it's Ready Player One. All the other NFT products are basically selling characters that are playable in the Yuga metaverse. And that's the big piece, that's the big NFT, that's the place where everything culminates, that's the metaverse, that's the place where people play with their NFTs, etc. And then everything else was just traditional companies doing sort of a web 2.5. And that's where and people just did it to have an extra membership tier and, and show that they are mega fans to the companies they love. I honestly might not be surprised. I don't, now, if, if you also said, that the entire insurance company has adopted NFT or not NFTs, but blockchain technology, that public records have adopted blockchain technology, um, then I would also see that as a possibility. What we're doing now will never be what we're doing 20 years from now, where we're just minting every new Yeah, every project that comes out, paying $5,000 for a JPEG and then some people sell and make money and other people lose everything. Like, I feel like um, there's going to be just a few winners. I think Yuga is going to be one of those. And I think that um, if it was just Coca-Cola that was the next winner and Liquid Death and Haritos and all these that have released NFTs, I also wouldn't be surprised. Haritos is a good example because we've talked about the 
you know, web 2.5 it for a web two business. <clears throat> and that that's an effective way to know who your fans are and to market direct to consumer. But like, what about the opposite, which is like the way traditional web two brands are sort of fully degening. Like Haritos is, is exactly who I wanted to bring up. Like, so that, you know, they've changed their PFP to an NFT and, and like, where's the value there? Because to me, I go like, that's a pretty small customer segment. Like the NFT community, as like a community is not mega large yet. Like, you know, where a company pivots toward gaming, I get it. Like there's however billion gamers in the world, but like, what is the sort of thought from your perspective as like an experienced leader? Like why would a, a brand sort of take on a web three persona? Yeah, I think it's either, it's either you see your customer, like if you, if you're looking at your pro, uh, customer profile, you either see them really dedicated to that space or you see your marketing research shows you that you are this close to that demographic. And by getting into NFTs, you will reach that demographic. Like you said, it's not a huge space, but it's like in a world that is flattening and everything is sort of being consolidated into this one sameness, then you do anything to get the edge. So maybe you dedicate $100,000 in marketing to the Web3 uh, web space and hope that that eventually gets you some dedicated uh, customers down the line who remember you forever for that and love your, your sodas and your juices. The third scenario, I think, is you accidentally hired a social media director who is a crypto bro and, and really into NFTs, and they convinced you of something your brand should have never been a part of. I think I think those are, I think those are the three scenarios. It's either you see you you know you see a very small window for that potentiality, and then I think that other scenario is you just hired someone who who got in over their head. Um, I in think terms of metaverse, yeah, I was gonna, we brought up we've talked a lot about Yuga and their you know what they're building with the uh, the other side, but. This is kind of one of those terms where we throw it around a lot. And, you know, I, I Minecraft is a metaverse to me and we won't get into Minecraft and NFT worlds today, although it is deeply fascinating to me on a whole fucking bunch of different levels. Uh, but like what what is the metaverse to you in the next 10 to 12 years? Do you see this as a Yuga world that we're all participating in or do you think there is space for other um, devs and, and people to build systems outside of that. Yeah. So what's interesting is a lot of times we dovetail crypto and metaverse together uh, and NFTs fit into that, but really the metaverse can be so much. Uh, I mean, it, it, you know, I think Facebook, I don't think they're building theirs on a blockchain, you know, exactly. Right. I think there's, there's blockchain aspects of it, but they may just be like, blockchain adjacent ideas of what their metaverse might be. And so I think, you know, I can see a world where if we all agree that we're only going to get more digital, then we have to ask ourselves, in what ways are we going to get more digital? And I think that the first step is to say, okay, what are the ways that have grown in that space that don't feel like we've hit a ceiling, right? So um, like posting pictures, we've kind of hit a ceiling, right? <laughs> like, uh, saying what we had for dinner, we've kind of hit a ceiling. And so where are, so, so, so chatting, communicating through text and posting pictures and videos, I think we're kind of like at a ceiling. So, so then where does the next digital space come in? And I think that. Well, here, here you go. Like I, 
want to have floor seats for the Brooklyn Nets. And I want to be able to sit in those floor seats with my VR headset on. And yep. I want to watch the game like I'm at the stadium. I can sell that exponentially many times yep. to however many people. Exactly. So there's one great example of a metaverse that I think is a wonderful use case and will probably be very successful. I know the camera technology is about there to where you could have low profile cameras that don't stick out to the audience too much that give you a high quality image that then at home I can sit and experience that without one bothering you in the stadium and two having a good enough product that I feel like I'm there and I'm enjoying the game. So right there, boom, you nailed it. That is a great use case for the future of the metaverse. I could see like if we're um, maybe not you and me, maybe not our generation per se, I guess maybe we'll participate in it, but we won't be the drivers of it. But why wouldn't a gen Z kid who's working in more of a virtual space because remote work has only grown and will continue to only grow. Why wouldn't they, and his headset technology gets good, why wouldn't they maybe want to engage as an avatar in a room of, of an, you know, it's not instead of in Zoom where we're just looking at each other and talking, why wouldn't you maybe want to engage with someone through a 3D environment? Um, and be able to kind of show off and show off who you are as a person and be a little independent of who, you, like, why wouldn't that be a next step? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm in a remote work environment now, right? And we're always so excited when we're in phys physically in the same place because there's sort of like the camaraderie aspect. So, yeah, if you, would I go to a virtual water cooler? I probably would. Uh, and I would probably enjoy that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think that that's another interesting use case as well. To where, yeah, that you you work for a virtual company, and yes, like I'm with you, man. I love when we get to, like. There's nothing. There's the the idea that why do we need office space anymore is one of the most foolhardy things I've ever heard someone put out after the pandemic. But anyway, that's another discussion completely. But yeah, you're exactly right. Like, why if if we're completely remote and we live in different states and countries and time zones, why wouldn't it be fun to get together in a virtual room? um and that, that has maybe my nfts in it right like that's what's kind of cool about where they kind of come together is like maybe the virtual office space that i build out in my conference room has a little flair that our company likes you know that you know we hang up someone's nft on the wall or we you know do whatever and i think that is a real possibility as well and then the gaming right i think ready player one if you can build that complete metaverse where people can bring their own avatars in obviously there's a world with rules and, and everything else but where you can have land and as much as gamers have pushed back on it i do not see why Owning your own assets is not a million times better than the. Well, okay, well let, let's let's unpack this because yeah. I think you're you're on to something that matters. It's because NFT people don't shut the hell up about NFTs. This is the reason why. Like owning your stuff is cool. Crypto blockchain for people that aren't interested in that is not cool. Not a value add. Decentralization to someone who doesn't care about a decentralized world doesn't matter to them. So I feel like we. Not the royal we, but like the space in general. I mean, one, it's hard if you don't know what you're doing. It's it's very dangerous in terms of safety and security. You can get scammed extremely easily. And two, like we don't shut the hell up about it. Yep. And, and so to a way where like it's annoying, just like, you know, you may have someone you may love meat. You may have vegan friends who just keep on going on about veganism and it just pushes you away from even wanting a vegetable. 
across the end of the day. I feel like that's part of what's going on. Yeah. CrossFit's another example where people who do it, they're talking about it. And so, no, that's a good point that I hadn't really thought of, that that may be one of the major uh, impediments to us really, because that's, that's our, that's our, those are our cousins. That's our next winning space is to get gamers involved. And they're one of the most vocal about how much they hate us. And you're right. It probably has a lot to do with how we've acted as a space. And so that's another thing that I, um, we've kind of gone full circle here because that's another reason why I'm so passionate about what we do and how we carry ourselves and the values that we display outwardly because other people see that and decide if they want to be involved in this or not. And we have done a piss poor job of showing, like, don't get me wrong, I've had beautiful moments. I've met amazing, incredible people like you and our group that we have on WhatsApp. Like, I love you guys and I've never met you in my life. And yet, what is the majority sort of view of who we are is ugly. And so it's just, I mean, it's why I'm, uh, I, I try not to let anyone know who I am in the space. It's because why would I want to be associated with that? And if I'm, if I'm a believer in it and I don't want to be associated with it, what does that say about where we are as an industry? It's, it's interesting. You know, I was, a as you know, obviously I was a retired school principal and I lived in edgy Twitter for a long time. And it was a constant toxic positivity bullshit of, it was essentially wag me. It was, I mean, it was, we need to be kind to each other. And I view kindness as a very different thing than what these people viewed it as. I view it as saying, you know, like if if my wife tells me I look stupid in the clothes I have on, I view that as being kind. I, I view that as her trying to not have me leave the house looking like a damn fool where others people would perceive that as being mean. And so it's no different than the other silos in verticals and industries of the world is that you're right. Like the, the, the way that we act as a, as a space combined with the immaturity of the space and the lack of, I would say like more seasoned, more adult, more professional people. Uh, it is sort of like a, a cocktail of bad. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's got to change. And it's tough because I think our, if you were to profile who is the common customer of uh, NFTs, it's a 24 year old white stoner bro. Right. And so if that is your overall majority uh, customer base and uh, users, then it is hard to, to onboard a diverse population of, of NFT users, an older population of NFT users, a younger NFT population. Uh, it's just it just becomes really hard. And so that's something that we have to figure out and work through. I think uh, in some ways the saturation of the Board Ape Yacht Club helps with that in a lot of ways because you see these celebrities and, and the, you know, the, all this kind of stuff, the Eminem and Snoop and whatever, all of these things, I think that helps. But then you also have to look at, okay, where does it get, get adopted by, um, you know, the technology class? Like there's some people involved in crypto. There's a lot of people who left um, tech world to come to Web3 world. Um, but then there's a lot of people, you know, then half of them get fired from Coinbase. And then what does that tell the technology sector about the Web3 sector? Right. So there's just all of those issues that I think rise from our volatility, from the speculative nature of the things that we're doing. And I think that that will work itself out. I'm a firm believer that that will work itself out as time goes on. Um, but it's also one of those things where we have to be vocal about it. You can't just hope that it goes away if we just sit in silence and let the the dominant uh, 
personality be the one that currently is dominating. We, we have to speak up. And so that's why I do what I do. And I know you do what you do. And I think that that'll change over time, but we have to be willing to, to step up and do it so that we can see those changes happen for the betterment of, of everyone. Last question I have for you, Paul. Um, I have been really interested in the way that intellectual property is being used in, in IRL. I, I attended the Diamond Dogs minor league baseball event where two um, collections took over the baseball jerseys for a minor league team. It was a lot of fun. And I wasn't a holder. I was a holder of one collection, but my jersey wasn't on one of the players. I, I have been so fucking into this tournament with the gutter cat game. I have watched every single game. I have watched their opponents games. It's a combination of the, the fact that the tournament is optimized for your viewing. I mean, it's a really good basketball, but, but like I have one clone. That is all I have in gutter cat game. And I am so invested when I'm watching these games. Uh, the, where do you see the sort of like, crossover or the IP stuff going and like what are your some of your takeaways on the space in general with that yeah so I think you nailed it that's probably one of the most uh incredible ways is is seeing it out in real life especially in sports where I think um if you look at demographics I think that's the biggest crossover right our NFTs people are sports fans and so we're seeing that happen and I think the one you just mentioned uh is the is the most successful use of that and a great use case for intellectual property. I saw the Old Navy licensed a board ape for a t-shirt that they're gonna put yeah. out. I think they did that from an individual user, if I understand what I read correctly. That's correct also. That's why I love this space. We built um, a NFT uh, collection called the Deadheads, and I got involved in that early on. And from our Discord, we hired all the people to make the series, animated series, five minute episodes, five to 10 minute episode shorts. And then we cast individual holders of the individual NFT. So we would go to Twitter and say, we're looking for, these are little, these are little figures that look like Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. And we'd say, we're looking for a skeleton with a gold crown. And if you had one, then you offered it up and we paid you to use it in our series. And I thought that was a really cool use case for intellectual property uh, to create an animated series from a community um, and then also cast from the people that bought the NFTs and that they made money off of those, which then, right, if that cartoon is a success and you own the main character, your asset becomes that much more valuable and gives you more opportunities to license it for T-shirts and toys and those types of things. And so I think which is vastly different than the web tool. Exactly. That's a great example. Yes. And this is this is one of my involvement with Deadheads is one of the reasons why I see so much potential in this and why I'm still here and being a part of it and looking for things. Like so with my meta heroes, I am um working with some really talented comic book artists to make my own spin-off comic, right? Because that's how comics work in the comic book world, right? You have your central characters or whatever. Um, and then you, like with Marvel, you hire all these different writers to tell different stories and it's not always canon. Sometimes they don't cross over and all of that, but it creates this vast web of storytelling and people become fans. So if I can get first to market with a really great MetaHeroes comic that builds my own lore, then, I mean, I'll beat, I'll beat them. They haven't even done it, <laughs> but it's like, then people fall in love with the stories I'm telling and I create a media company and I'm able, and then I have ownership of this that I can take to comic cons that I can sell to 
uh, Disney to make a move. Like that's pie in the sky, but it's absolutely possible for those things to happen. And so I think intellectual property is probably the most fascinating thing for how this is different than everything else that's come before it. Uh, I think that's one of the most user beneficial things that exist in the NFT and Web3 world that is different from traditional uh, media and technology world. And so I'm all in on it. I think what Jenkins the Valet has done, I don't understand. Yeah, I, don't, I don't quite understand the business model from a user perspective, but what he's done with it is brilliant. Um, and so I think all of those are really, really great use cases to show that uh, the potential here is just through the roof. And this wouldn't be intellectual property necessarily, but I think I think for bands and and uh, superstars and people that have really dedicated fandoms to to sell an NFT that then gives you access to like you like if you own the NFT and you come to my concert, you don't have to buy a backstage pass. You just show your NFT. You're a dedicated fan, so you still have to buy the ticket to come to the show, but you always get access to me and to that experience. I think that's another way that people can really lean into this technology and make something special. I'm going to take you back. I remember buying Everclear fan club and getting a laminate so that I could meet them backstage. Like, yes, I, I mean, I think that's spot on. Listen, Paul.jpg, appreciate you, man. Known you for a while. Great to be able to get an episode in with you. Probably the longest episode I've ever done, but there's just a lot of fun stuff to talk about. I mean, we could have gone for another hour, no problem. That's what I thought too. I thought I thought we could have kept going, man. I really appreciate your you're doing you're doing excellent work. It's always great to see other like-minded folks who know the potential, who are working hard to see the future through, and you're you're doing it, man. So appreciate you. Can't wait till we can finally share a beer in person at some point down the road. Definitely soon. All right. Thanks so much for joining, Paul. I want to thank my special guest, Paul, for joining me on this episode of NF Teach. Going to be back at you with an episode of Aspen Scam Busters, as well as our Aspen Community Update on Thursday and Friday. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for liking and retweeting. We'll be back with more episodes of NF Teach next week. Take care of yourselves and each other. Peace. Thank you.